Welcome to episode 76 of the Kyperion podcast. We've uh, continued uh, fairly consistently through this season and providing uh, a variety of articles and audio, which is really part of the Kyperion project to provide you all these resources so you can apply the Lordship of Jesus in all areas of life. And on this episode, uh, we welcome Dr. Andrew Sandlin, who is the founder and president at Center for Cultural Leadership. Uh, Andrew has a very extensive resume, which we can delve at some time. But what I love about you, Andrew, is that you are an exemplary Kyperian. So uh, welcome back, my friend. Thank you so much, Yuri. I'm very grateful to you and consistently reading the fine articles uh, you put up. And I I think during this time in particular, uh, being a Kyperian is uh, exceedingly valuable. And I think we're also seeing some of the uh, liabilities of a lack of Kyperian thinking. So um, appreciate you very much and great to be on again, dear friend. Yeah, my, my pleasure. And you have uh, already kind of echoed some of the things I want to talk to you about. I, I followed your insights uh, during this, uh, I don't know, you can use all sorts of phrases, pandemic, panic. I love the way uh, atheist uh, Bill Maher puts it, he calls it panic porn. Yes. And I want to tackle that shortly here. I want to ask you a more principal question. I want to begin by talking about the Christian's role in time of uncertainty. One of the things that uh, Kuiper spoke of, and he talked very specifically about the worldview of Calvinism, and he says that the Calvinistic worldview is one that seeks to impress in and outside the church uh, upon every aspect of human life. And, And my question to you initially is, has this season actually revealed Reveal the face of modern evangelicalism for what has always been, that is, pietistic, individualistic, and isolated religious expression. Can you just talk a little bit about that, if you will? Well, uh, there's the old adage, genius loves company. It's interesting you would ask that, Yuri. I was just thinking about that this morning. Uh, If there is um, any sort of uh, positive result from this whole thing, it's what it has revealed You've asked specifically about modern evangelicalism in the church. I think, of course, we could go beyond that to what it says about our culture, but specifically with respect to your question, uh, modern evangelicalism, of course, uh, tends to be very superficial. Um, A lot of people have observed that. Highly individualistic. And because it generally lacks a Christian worldview, it's not really able accurately to assess unusual things that develop historically. Uh, apart from one's own personal relationship to God or perhaps attending uh, church on Sunday or, or private devotions. Beyond that, there's not a lot of distinctively Christian thinking. So it's the notion that outside these sort of pietistic realms, there's either an area of neutrality or it's one that Christians don't need to be especially interested in. Therefore, when these things come up, these evangelicals are inclined to accept the, quote, common wisdom the neutral wisdom of people around them, because these things aren't that important anyway. So uh, I think we are seeing, and we could delve into this more specifically if you'd like, I think we are seeing a revelation of the failure of of evangelical, much of, not everybody, of course, but much of evangelical Christianity. Mm. Yeah, I I think I I shared those sentiments uh, as well. Early on, Andrew, you had... um, Already shared skepticism about this entire endeavor, which was from the beginning an endeavor to 
take away, even under the guise of good intentions, take away some of the the freedoms of the church and, and the people of God in one way or another, whether it's justifiable or not. It's another conversation here. But very early on, you already showed a level of skepticism towards this entire COVID-19 project, let's call it. What, what led you to begin this conversation already on the note of skepticism? Mm, good question. I would also add real quickly, first though, you also saw this, Yuri, and I'm grateful for your contributions. But I think really uh, it was my ingrained sense of Kuyperianism. And uh, Kuyper originated, well, along with uh, his predecessor, uh, predecessor uh, Groen van Prinsdurer, the notion of uh, sphere sovereignty. And I won't go into detail but it's essentially the notion that separate spheres have their own um, independent, distinctive calling before God. Uh, the three main ones are the family and the church and the state. Uh, they have uh, responsibilities inherent to themselves that are, uh, that are not dependent on uh, outside, um, outside spheres. Not that they shouldn't work together. Obviously, the family should be involved in the church. The church should contribute to the family and to some degree the state in protecting the church and so on. But nonetheless, there are these, these separate spheres. So it was really clear that what happened uh, when the, this panic began is that because not just uh, politicians, but sadly it seems a majority, even if it's a small majority of Americans, simply default to the ideology of the state. We may call it statism. There was not immediately a response that goes like this. Okay. What should the church be doing? How specifically should the church respond in its own distinctive ecclesial way? I would suggest that apart from you and you know, relatively few, comparatively few others, most churches weren't doing that. Their response was to follow the stampede. Oh no, we dare not have church. We dare not question any of this that's going on. So uh, let's essentially uh, cancel church. Now I'm not saying it's wrong to do that. For, for instance, there may be some churches, they have a number of elderly people, or maybe in an area like New York City, maybe that was the prudent choice. That's, as you indicated, it's a separate issue. The real issue is how should the church be understanding its own specific responsibility within the realm of sphere sovereignty? Because we're not trained to think in Kyperian ways today. It's not just that people act wrongly, acted wrongly, it's just they didn't have the wherewithal. Uh, they didn't have the intellectual framework to think about this issue properly. And for that reason, they were so quickly just to, to give in and say, well, just for as long as it takes, basically the church won't meet. Uh, well, that might be the right answer in some cases, but it's not the default right answer. We have to think through the issue of a sphere sovereignty carefully. We have an American experiment where we have seen continually over the last few centuries that the state likes to grow. My question to you, Andrew, is what hinders the population from grasping this fundamental logic that over time, when the government exerts an excessive amount of power over the people, they don't quietly go back to a pre-exertion place in their history, but they build on the accumulated power that they now have. Where have we lost our minds in not seeing that reality? Boy, you're right about that. Rather under, uh, whether under Democratic or Republican administrations, it tends to be this remarkable growth. And as you indicated, there is just massive empirical evidence that this is the case. This is not just some secret thing that one must go investigating on the web, on the dark web to find. I mean, you just sort of look around and you see that this is happening. It sort of a, a, is a default position. 
it really uh, springs from a deviation from a biblical understanding of the state, according to Romans 13 and other texts, which is to punish external evil, which we call crime. The goal of the responsibility of the state is not to produce the equitable society or true fairness economically or otherwise. Otherwise, uh, the only fairness is, of course, according to retrib- what we call retributive justice, according to the civil law. Sadly, the state was massively growing and much, much beyond that today, such that people say, well, if there is any inequity in, in society, the state has to be the one to rectify it. Historically, it's been that uh, the families have and churches have and other what we call today private institutions have. Uh, but to get to the second part, the reason that this has happened, I believe, in the church is a lack of understanding what uh, another good Kyperian, though often he's not recognized as such, Francis Schaeffer said, uh, the absolute uh, lordship of Christ and the totality of life. Yeah. Uh, there is the reduction of the Christian faith to one's uh, quiet time and one's prayer life at most church. But of course, for many of them, church is sort of going on Sunday to sit in a building and watching sort of a, a performance and listening to good teaching. There's not much participation other than sort of mumbling along to uh, praise and worship and um, being a little facetious, but not very much. So the area of what is considered Christianity or, or clear Christian external, explicit Christian responsibility is so narrowed that when anything like this comes up, there really is not a, a, I think I mentioned earlier, an intellectual framework for dealing with it. So why did this come about? Well, largely, I think this is the the church uh, and other ministry leaders have failed. Thank God, Yuri, you and others like you have not. But many pastors have not really equipped their congregations to think uh, and therefore act in a distinctively Christian way. Or if they're thinking in a distinctively Christian way, it's only on a very narrow range of issues. Kuiper saw that was a problem. Francis Schaeffer saw that was a problem. Uh, others in our own time have seen, many people have seen it, but sadly, the broad, you know, quote, conservative evangelical church has not seen that. Now, notice, Yuri, we're not talking about the liberals. We understand why the liberals would support big government. I mean, they're basically religious secularists. We're talking about the conservatives. Mm. You know, Kuiper said something that I came across recently in some of the great uh, translations of Kuiper that uh, Lexham Press is putting out. I'm really appreciative to jo- uh, Jordan Baylor and others. Yeah. But uh, one of the things Kuiper says is that one way to fight against the, the tyranny of the government is not so much to revolutionize, to go in a revolution or in a war against the government, but is to establish certain principles of liberty within the community that would make the government that would that would make it unthinkable for the government to want to take yes. them away. Yeah. And the the impression I get through this whole process is that we lack uh, a catholicity of, of 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 liberty, I should say, to go about it. Because as you mentioned, people are uh, churches in general are so quick to give in to governmental pressures for fear of being marginalized. And what they fail to understand is that we are already by the nature of our claim as people of God already marginalized in any society that's not overly Christian. I want you to talk a little bit, Andrew, about about the the lack of frame, intellectual framework as we begin anew in this uh, let's call it post pandemic age, which is it's it's good to see some signs of life again, even in evangelicalism. Where do you think the church could begin? Uh, in terms of grasping uh, basics of the Christian faith. You mentioned Lordship of Jesus, which covers everything. Are there particular things that you would say, these are important for the 
the, the evangelical person to know that they have never studied or considered. And now as we go along in this new phase, it would be crucial for them to understand. Oh boy, that's really the nub of the issue. Thanks for that question. You bet. I think we're talking about the growth of the state. I think one of the main things that can be done, apart from this general understanding of the Lordship of Christ and the totality of life, is recapturing responsibilities that have that were long ago surrendered by the church and by the family and private institutions to the state. I mean, let me just tick off some of the obvious ones, though there are many. One is education. Mm-hmm. Uh, one reason that so many people are acting the way they are to defer to the state is because so many have been inculcated with a statist education and public schools and public education. Let's face it. I mean, the role of most, I, I can't speak for every single public school, but in general, public education is designed to serve a, a statist, a centralized statist interest. Therefore, it's understandable that people, uh, young people uh, and young adults now, in fact, older adults um, now, after all these years, who have gone through this sort of public education system, particularly of the last three or four decades, would think in a statist way. So if churches would start stressing the necessity of Christian education, whether it be faithful homeschooling or uh, Christian schools, classical Christian schools, other kinds of consistent Christian schools, to recover that uh, role of education is vital. Now, I'm going to take one step further real quickly, Yuri. I would say, and this is tragic, but I would say most of the evangelical Christian colleges and universities have largely surrendered to statism and forms of cultural Marxism. I won't go into the details there, but an essentially secularized, partially at least secularized Christianity. So there actually aren't many sound Christian colleges and universities left. Um, So even if we have uh, young people that go through Christian schools, if they go off to Christian universities and colleges, many of them are not going to be equipped to think in terms of liberty. So recovering education I think uh, is vital. I think that the same thing is also true with um, uh, old age care, uh, caring for parents as you're able in your home. Uh, I think mm. the same is true is all sorts of other uh, specific things that the government, the protection of liberty. Now it's true as far as external crime is concerned. That's not the responsibility of the family of the church, but nonetheless, the exercise of liberty, uh, protecting one's own property, now, this whole idea, that sounds so retrogressive and weird to hear me say that, I must say, Yuri. And some people would say, what is this business about protecting your own property as though you would need like a, a weapon to do that? And yet I would say that if you turn back the clock even 60 years, most Americans would think that way. Yeah. So this shows that these ideas that I'm articulating, it's not, oh, what new thing is being said on the Kuyperian commentary. It's not a new thing. What Kuyper was talking about is actually a retention and recovery of a very old and Christian way of thinking. Uh, so the notion, and I think one more thing, and I'll, I'll uh, stop here, but one more thing is the responsibility of the church to stand up for what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll say something here that I want people to understand and not to misunderstand. I do not support Roman Catholicism. I am a strong Protestant, and I'll say that anywhere. But I must say, oftentimes historically, the Roman Catholic Church understood this much better than modern evangelicals do. And that created the conflict often in the medieval world between the church and the state. Now, historically, if you look at this, and a lot of historians have have observed this truth, that's what led to a great deal of liberty, that the church would not let the state push it around. Am I justifying Roman Catholic doctrine? No. 
Another point that was made by the Roman Catholic historian Christopher Doctrine and I, uh, Christopher Dawson rather, and he made a great point. He said of of all of the Protestants that carried on this aspect of the Roman Catholic tradition, it was the Calvinists. The Calvinists believe in the independence of the church. The Calvinists believe in uh, liberty, in ecclesial liberty, in individual liberty, and stressed it anywhere they go, uh, everywhere they went, and everywhere they go. Well. Uh, Today, sadly, that has largely been lost. The stress on the independence of the church and the necessity of individual liberty and ecclesial liberty and family liberty. This is not something we hear much about today, Yuri, but it is a biblical theme. There's something else that I will say this and I'll be done. When we think about the man's first and initial great commission in the earth, we think of Matthew 28, of course, and Mark 16 as the great commission. Actually, the first commission given before the fall is often called the cultural mandate. Man and woman were called to steward the earth for the Lord's glory, for the rest of his creation. Now, if you'll think about it for a minute, you need a great deal of liberty to do that. You need liberty to do that. So, And if you'll think about these draconian requirements today with respect to COVID-19, among other things, they're putting crimps on the, on the, respons- on the calling, the responsibility of the people of God to fulfill their mandate. So this is true not just of the church meeting. It's also true of the general calling of man, godly man and woman in the earth. So I said a lot there, and I'd better stop and let you talk a little bit. Let me, let me just uh, put a highlight to something you said there at the end, which is something that I've been thinking about for a long time, which is that there is a push in evangelical circles to uh, care for the poor and, and care for the needy, all good things, of course, that the Bible stresses abundantly. But there's also a kind of a, a social call, so to speak, to to poverty and to sort of a monastic way of living, and almost almost praising a life of martyrdom as if that's the the way Christians ought to be. And the Bible specifically lists martyrs as people who established the foundation of the church, and there are martyrs even today. But you said something interesting that I thought about for some time: is that we need a society where freedom prospers so we can take dominion over things. If we live in a society where our freedoms are taken away, we'll always be in a position of waiting for the time when we can take dominion. And uh, I think that's that's a real crucial distinction you make because when we hunger for the, the life of suffering, what we're essentially saying is that we were going to be always in a position where we cannot implement our ideals as a Christian. We need a, an environment where liberty thrives, so the Christian is at at freedom to uh, speak freely about his faith and about what the Bible demands of the world. Isn't that right? You bet. Boy, I wish more Christians understood that. There's a sort of a uh, a, a, f- a false piety that argues, yeah. and perhaps you've even heard some Christians argue, well, actually, persecution is a good thing for the church because it purifies the church. Thus, we should be crying out for more persecution. Uh, That might sound pious, but that's radically anti-biblical. I mean, Peter says the church should pray for a quiet and peaceful life with respect to the civil magistrates. We want the civil magistrate to stay out of the way and do his God-appointed job, uh, which is protecting against external evils, what we would call today crime, so that the family and the church and individuals and businesses can do the job that God has called them to do. This Now, it's really interesting. It really comes about when you talk about the notion of wealth. Now, the Bible warns about the misuse of wealth. It does not warn about wealth per se. I mean, wealth is a good thing. For people who say we as Christians should be opposed to wealth, I sometimes, if they really press it, 
I'll sometimes get a little pushy, not very often, Yuri, but occasionally mm -hmm. I'll say, oh, so you want really are arguing for the uh, diminution and failure of the gospel. And that, well, well, no, we're not saying that at all. They say, no, it's just wealth that we have a problem with. Well, I said, do you not understand then to send missionaries to the four corners of the earth? Why to establish and plant churches? You need money to do that. <laughs> you need money to do these things. You need a lot of money to do these things. So really in arguing the way that they do, they're arguing, and this is the, uh, this is fundamental going back to Genesis 1. They're arguing against man's primal calling. Man's primal calling is to exercise godly dominion. And of course, since the fall, uh, that would include the Great Commission, which is, is to unite us in Jesus Christ, bring us back into him by grace through faith, so that we can return to that calling as God's people in the earth. So to, to argue against that, to argue for in greater poverty and greater suffering, is to argue for a, a place in which we cannot fulfill what God has called us to fulfill. Yeah, that's excellent, Andrew. And so in, in situations like these, I always think of uh, one of our our mutual friends' uh, book that he wrote uh, many decades ago called uh, Crisis and Opportunity, uh, James Jordan. We are going through a, an intellectual crisis. Uh, now that we know the pandemic was not the uh, apocalyptic crisis we expected, but there is an intellectual crisis going along. Yeah. And my final question to you is one is a question that you have pondered a lot and talked quite a bit about, which is the question of reformation and revival. Since we do have a crisis that's been revealed through this season, what are the opportunities that you think the church will have to bring about reformation and revival in our day? Oh, great question. It's a great one to end with, Yuri. I think when things like this happen, one thing they expose, we talked about what they exposed among evangelicals. Now let me mention something, one of the things they exposed in the wider culture, the absolute intellectual and moral bankruptcy of secularism and neo-paganism. I mean, we could go talk about anything from the models, the, the, the greatest, the greatest, the most obviously correct models that obviously were catastrophically wrong. The predictions by experts that were wrong. What I'm saying, Yuri, is people look around and say, well, wait, these people that were supposed to be experts, most of them didn't even know what they were talking about. I mean, where, where in the world do I turn? If I cannot turn to these human experts, where do I turn? I think the church needs to stand up, Christians individually, and of course, the Church of Jesus Christ needs to stand up and say, we have the answer. Now, I want to say something here because we we have an age in which people say, well, we need to be very modest in our truth claims, and people don't like it when you're dogmatic. Uh, I understand that we should avoid a sort of a personal pride and dogmatism. I totally agree with that. The Bible says we should be humble. But we're not to be humble about the claims of Jesus Christ and his lordship. The church should stand up and say, this is what the word of God says. And if people don't like that, well, I'm sorry, that's because they're sinners. The word of God does trump or should trump the word of man in all cases. So I think what should happen in terms of the, the foundation for reformation and revival is the church for the church to stand up and say, we do have the answer. We have the answers and list some of those answers in very specific ways. As people who are obedient, people mighty in prayer, people mighty in applying the faith in all areas of life, that lays the groundwork for reformation. Now that will produce resistance, no question about it. But that's nothing new, Yuri. The church, all, uh, the, the church historically for 2,000 years has met with resistance when it has said Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, not a way, a truth, and a life. So uh, I think amid all of this sort of not only um, uh, medical and health chaos, not only intellectual chaos, but sort of the spiritual chaos, 
the spiritual vacuity. People saying, what in the world are we supposed to do? Where can we turn? I read a number of articles. I'm sure if you have, here you have even psychologists writing. People are saying, this is a dark time. What do we do? Where will we go? Well, if Christians and the church can't be the ones during that time and stand up and say, we have the absolute truth and here it is, then we really shouldn't be around doing what we're doing right now. We should just fold up our tents and walk away. We need to be the ones conveying the truth and declaring the truth of the Lordship of Christ and the totality of life. Hmm. Andrew Sandlin is the founder and president of Center of Cultural Leadership. Andrew, I really hope your words go far and wide into our audience. Uh, thanks for joining us once again, my brother. God bless you, Yuri. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.